Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, and welcome to the Latin American History Podcast. Episode 4. The Aztecs. Today, we will talk about one of the most famous civilizations of the pre-Columbian Americas. The Aztecs have imprinted themselves firmly onto our collective consciousness. Most people know a little about their history, and they can recognize their art. As we shall see, however, although they were undoubtedly a great civilization, Part of the reason for their fame may be thanks to the fact they were at the height of their power during the time the Spanish arrived. While they certainly ruled over a larger area than any other Mesoamerican civilization, their time was relatively short-lived. In many ways, the civilizations covered in the previous episodes are no less impressive than the Aztecs. This is not to take anything away from them, however. They were a fascinating people, and deserve to be studied in detail. Now originally... This episode was going to be about the Maya. This was for chronological reasons. The Maya were around a long time before the Aztec. I have decided, however, that it makes more sense to cover the Aztec first. This is mainly for geographical reasons. The Maya inhabited the far south of Mesoamerica, whereas the Aztecs inhabited the areas that we covered in the last two episodes. We will be moving slowly southwards throughout these pre-Columbian episodes. It makes sense, then, to cover the Aztec before their more southern Maya neighbours. I also examined the far north of Mexico at the end of last episode. As the Aztecs had their origin there, it makes sense to follow their story from the north down into the centre of Mesoamerica. Before starting, I'd like to quickly remind you that if you'd like to get in contact for any reason, you can do so via either the Facebook page or by emailing me at historyoflatinamericapodcast.com at gmail.com. So with all that out of the way, let's begin. The Aztecs then had their origin in the fierce northern tribes of Mexico. The Mexica, who would later give their name to the country, were part of the Nahua ethno-linguistic group which dwelled in the northwest deserts of Mexico. As we discussed last week, depending on your definition of the word, the Aztecs may or may not have been part of the Chichimec people, a collective term for the tribes of northern Mexico. Various Nahua tribes have been migrating into central Mexico for quite some time. The first that we know of were the Pochutec. These people settled in Oaxaca, close to the Zapotec lands in around 400 AD. These were followed by many others who settled in and around the Valley of Mexico. A crude comparison can be made here between the tribes of northern Mexico and the peoples of the steppe in Central Asia. Various Mongol and Turkic groups swept into China, India, Central Asia and Europe, settling down there. While nomadic people, often they'd adopt the culture and ways of life of the people they conquered. 
They gave up their nomadic ways and lived in cities, creating states with powerful institutions. So too the tribes of northern Mexico would descend down into Mesoamerica and adopt the ways of their new neighbours. They started building cities, practising agriculture and copied the social models they saw around them. One of the most powerful examples is supposedly the Toltecs. These people were said to have founded a great empire with their capital at Tula, a short distance northeast of Mexico City. I say supposedly because there's some debate about the extent of Toltec civilization. Most of the information we have about them comes from the Aztecs. They feature prominently in the Aztec myths. The Aztecs saw themselves as closely related to the Toltec. They believed they were continuing the Toltec cultural legacy, so it made sense for them to emphasize the advanced nature of Toltec society. The Aztecs describe a civilization whose influence extended across central and southern Mexico. They say the Toltec Empire included the lands that had once belonged to the Olmec, parts of Oaxaca, and even the northern bit of Yucatan. They also go into great detail when describing Toltec society. They even provide the names and dates of the Toltec rulers. If the Aztecs are to be believed, this would have been one of the greatest civilizations Mesoamerica had seen thus far. Some historians, however, dispute that this was the case. They believe the Aztec may have invented, or at least exaggerated, the Toltec Empire to suit their own ends. Their reason for doing so is legitimacy. Simply put, if you're going to conquer foreign peoples and establish your own small ethnic group as a cultural elite, you'd better have a damn good story to explain to all those conquered people now working on your behalf as to why this was the natural order of things. You need to make people say, okay, this is how it should be. This is why I work hard all day in the fields, while some foreign noble grows fat off the food that I produce. The quest for legitimacy is a feature common to all societies. When a ruler fails to assert his legitimacy, it can have serious consequences, both for himself and for his society. The medieval kings of Europe used the feudal system and the divine right of kings to get their legitimacy. Their right to rule was given to them by God. You wouldn't want to go against God and dethrone me, would you? This right could then be passed on to their children, ensuring that the family's legitimacy remained throughout the generations. The Roman and Byzantine emperors had a harder time achieving legitimacy. Although inheritance through the family was common, it was not the only way to obtain the throne. It was much easier for these emperors to lose their legitimacy, this might happen thanks to military losses or economic troubles. Often when one of these leaders lost their legitimacy, they were deposed. The first job of all the generals that would march on the capital to seize power was to build their legitimacy. Having grabbed the throne by force, their legitimacy started off low. They might do this through political propaganda or by launching a successful military campaign. If they managed to build enough legitimacy, they might found a new dynasty. If they failed in this task, they could be deposed themselves within a year. Today, in our Western democratic systems, politicians also have to build legitimacy. They have to convince people that they're the right person to lead the country. Failure to do so will mean that you're not elected in the first place. Furthermore, if the public perception is that you haven't been successful enough in your first term, you'll lose your legitimacy and you won't be re-elected. Scandal is also a surefire way to lose your legitimacy. Look at President Nixon after Watergate. Although he stepped down voluntarily, 
he pretty much had no choice, as he'd lost all his legitimacy thanks to the Watergate scandal. In a broader sense, the legitimacy of our democratic system is based on two things. The fact that politicians are elected and held to account by ordinary people, and the fact that we've seen an extraordinary rise in living standards over the last century. These things keep most people happy. They think the system is legitimate. It's there to help them. Of course, thanks to recent political events, you could argue that this legitimacy has started to be undermined. We're witnessing a rise of populism at the moment, and some of its leaders have won support by pointing to economic weakness and political corruption. Whether you like him or loathe him, you can argue that Trump is a symptom of a system that's losing its legitimacy. The same thing could be said about the British decision to leave the EU. The point I'm trying to make is that legitimacy is important. It's necessary if you're going to have a stable rule, even more so when you're ruling over foreign conquered people. Having a good story as to why things are as they are is often a vital part of this. This is why the Aztec may have created the myth of the Toltec. They wanted a powerful and advanced precursor whose legacy they were merely continuing. They wanted people to know that they were not just a tribe of barbarians from the north. They had illustrious ancestors. It was the natural state of things that they were in charge. By doing this, they were trying to build legitimacy and stop people questioning their rule. Whether they truly did have a large and powerful empire or not, the Toltec people did definitely exist. Today you can still visit their capital at Tula. You can see the pyramids they built there. According to some historians, though, their power did not extend beyond these city walls. Whatever the truth of the Toltec, they were probably culturally related to the Mexica, and they probably had a similar origin. The Mexica are said to have originated in a place called Aztlan. This is a semi-mythical place, and although we know they came from northwest Mexico, the exact location of Aztlan is unknown. It is, of course, from Aztlan that the word Aztec is derived. After spending many centuries living a hunter-gatherer lifestyle, they're believed to have migrated to the Valley of Mexico in around the 13th century. Some of their numbers were said to have had visions, which instructed them to settle down and found a city in the place where they came across an eagle perched on a cactus eating a snake. This image now sits on the flag of Mexico. After wandering for many years in search of this phenomenon, and after spending some time working as mercenaries, they finally observed it on an island on Lake Texcoco. It was here they founded their great city, Tenochtitlan. Their city is still inhabited today. In fact, it's Mexico City, the capital of Mexico, and one of the largest in the world. The site of Tenochtitlan, however, is not the most obvious place to build a successful city. The island was swampy, and long causeways had to be built to connect it to the mainland. Furthermore, there was already a settlement existing on the small island, and the lake's water was brackish, which means it was too salty to drink. That said, its island location did make the city very easy to defend. The causeways they built were designed so that they could be taken apart if invaders came. Thanks to the swampy nature of the island, a system of canals was built which crisscrossed the city. Canoes were used to get around it, as well as to neighbouring settlements. Today if you visit Mexico City, you would have no idea that a great lake once existed there. It has been almost completely drained. In the south of the city, however, you can visit one suburb known as Soco Milco, where some of the ancient canals still remain. 
If you're ever in the city, I recommend visiting Zocomilco and taking a ride on one of the colourful boats there. In doing so, you can get some kind of idea of what the city might have been like during the Aztec period. In the centre too, there are some traces of the pre-Spanish city. Many of the surrounding streets correspond to those of Tenochtitlan, and small ruins can still be found in parts of the city. An excellent reconstruction of Tenochtitlan can be found underground in the Zocalo metro station. Again, if you're ever in the area, it's worth having a look at, as it really gives you a sense of what the city must have been like. Thanks to its unique geography and architecture, it would have looked nothing like the cities of the Old World. The first Spanish visitors speak of being in awe of this great city. Its size and unique architecture is said to have blown their minds. We still have some way to go, however, before the city reaches those great heights. After founding their great city, the weak and unestablished Mexica became tributaries to another city-state ruled by the Tepenec. These were in fact another Nahua people, related to the Aztecs. They had already migrated to the Valley of Mexico, and therefore had a head start in building their city-state. The Mexica copied their customs, and started to convert themselves from a tribe into a settled state. Now for the first time in the Latin American History podcast, we have written sources to help us make sense of what happened. The Aztecs developed a writing system, which they used to preserve their myths and histories. It is because of this that we have some idea of the following series of events, or at least the Aztec version of them anyway. In 1426, the death of the Tepanec king led to a succession crisis, with two candidates fighting it out for the throne. One, Maxtla, took power by force. Ichcoatl, the leader of the Mexica, did not believe that Maxtla was the right person to be ruling, however. Another Nahua people nearby had founded the city of Texcoco, and they too had come under the influence of the Tepanec. The Mexica persuaded them to create an alliance opposing Mashla. This was further bolstered when Tlacopan, a rebellious Tepanec city, decided to join them. This arrangement became known as the Triple Alliance, and by 1428 this group of rebels had defeated the Tepanec. The three cities continued to cooperate, and this laid the foundation for the Aztec state. Although it was the Mexica who were really in charge, the Aztec were technically a confederation of these three peoples. It was only once they came together that the Mexica became the Aztec. They created an agreement which divided up the spoils of future conquest into fifths. The Mexica took two fifths, Texcoco took two fifths, and Tlacopan took one fifth. Gradually they expanded. First they conquered the neighbouring settlements around the lake, then they moved into the Valley of Mexico. After this, they expanded beyond it. Now this coming together probably wasn't too difficult. There would have been many cultural similarities between these people, which would have eased the integration. All three of them were Nahua, which meant they spoke related languages and had related cultures. They all had their origins in the tribal north, and had recently settled down to form city-states. I think this would have meant that social integration would have been easy, and the three groups would have fairly quickly come together to form one. This made the nucleus of their state strong, and allowed them to go out and conquer. You may have noticed that throughout the last few episodes, cities have formed the basis of states. They were the basic building block around which Mesoamerican empires were built. 
This is different to how things were organised at the time in Europe. While large cities did exist there, they were not often the foundation of the state itself. Kings may or may not have lived in a large city, and if they did, often the city was only large and important because of his presence there. Feudal Europe was built on land, and it was this that kings tried to conquer. This land may or may not have included cities. Conquered lands and cities were either ruled directly by the king, or handed out to earls, dukes and barons. These parcels of lands formed the building blocks for the European states, and they existed as a kind of pyramid, all leading up to the king. Cities could and did grow in importance, mainly thanks to trade, but these were often the domain of free citizens, and they too owed their allegiance to the king. One exception was the Republic of Venice, which was a true city-state, and which grew its influence by conquering other towns and cities. This was much closer to the Mesoamerican model. The pattern was that a city would be established, and it would initially only control small amounts of land surrounding it. They were normally mono-ethnic, with one group founding the city and living in it. These cities would then compete, and if one could establish dominance, it would exert its hegemony over the others, exacting tribute from them. This may have been done by force, or it may have been done voluntarily, as cities looked to avoid inevitable defeat and prosper under the umbrella of a growing empire. This is how the three cities of the Triple Alliance came to be ruled by the Tlacopan people from their capital city. Despite being conquered and paying tribute, the fact that they were still self-contained cities gave them enough scope to form an alliance and overthrow the Tlacopan. It is perhaps best, then, to think of Mesoamerican empires in terms of the places they had influence over, rather than the places they ruled. I hope this makes sense. Coming from a world dominated by nation-states, it can be quite hard to get your head round this different way of organising things. Understanding this, I think, helps to explain the confusion around the extent of the Toltec Empire. Assuming that they were a powerful empire, they would have had a heartland ruled directly from their capital city. They would then have had a network of cities who they had influence over, and who would have formed the bulk of their empire. For most of these cities, this would have meant paying tribute, accepting a Toltec elite, and obeying orders from the capital, all very concrete signs of territorial domination. It is entirely possible, however, that cities on the periphery came under less influence and had more independence. They may have been under the competing influence of the Toltecs and other states who were attempting to win them into their empire. It might be useful to see an empire's influence as a spectrum. Different cities would have been under different levels of influence from the capital. Using this model, it's easy to see where there might be debate as to the true extent of an empire. Where exactly is the boundary between being part of an empire, or merely being influenced by a powerful neighbour? Influence can also come in different forms. A city may adopt the style of art and architecture of another more powerful one, for example. This could be because it has been conquered, and the new elite are making their own style of art. Alternatively, they could have just come under the cultural influence of their neighbours, and not actually become part of their empire. Styles of architecture such as Baroque or Romanesque can be found all over Europe. This doesn't mean that there was one state producing this type of architecture all over the place. It simply means that trends in architecture had reached across borders. Many contemporary cities to the Olmec started making sculpture and pottery in their style. This does not necessarily mean, however, that the Olmec had conquered these people. This political model 
which use cities as the building blocks of empire, is the one that the Aztecs will use as they build the biggest empire Mesoamerica had ever seen. Next episode, we'll examine this expansion. We will take a deeper look at the Aztecs, looking at how they organised their society, what their religion was like, and also their architecture. Until then, thanks for listening. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.